0: Um, We're going to continue our Bible series in Luke. So we're going to spend some time teaching through the Bible. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 4. We open it every week. We make it a central part of our time together because we believe that the Bible speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus himself. We're in a series that we have called Jesus the Early years. And so we're studying the first few chapters uh, of Luke. We got some of the Christmas stories, the the little baby Jesus stories into the childhood stories, and now in the beginnings of his ministry. So today is a beginning of the ministry kind of story. We've got a couple of more weeks in Luke, and then we're going to transition into a series on fasting and feasting and focus on that for our pre-Easter season, kind of a focus on spiritual practices uh, as we'll pass out a guide that'll give us Prayers that we can pray united for our community, um, some guidance for fasting, but also we'll be preaching on feasting on Sundays and kind of encouraging you to practice a Saturday night or Sunday afternoon feast with your own family as we study the biblical feasts um, and trying to just learn these rhythms that God calls us to of fasting and feasting. So we'll do that for a little while up into Easter, and then we'll reset again back to Luke and we'll do the next section of Luke. After that. So this week, the sermon is called Mixed Reviews. We'll be in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. We started Luke 4 last week, first half of the chapter, now we're finishing second half of the chapter. Mixed Reviews. Whenever I buy something, you probably do this. I look up the reviews online. How many of you do this when you're buying something? You check out the reviews, right? You You wanna hear what people think about it. And what I'm usually looking for is the product I want to buy. I want Everyone, without fail to think it's awesome, right? That would be the preference. And of course, I want it to be really cheap as well. I want it to be really cheap, and I want all the reviews to be just incredible. Glorious reviews. This is awesome. This is the best thing ever. Sometimes though, I'll buy a product that has mixed reviews. Sometimes I'll look up the reviews, and there are good reviews, and I'm like, oh, okay, that sounds like that's what I want. And then there are bad reviews, like, oh, this is terrible, and this is why. And when they explain why they hated the product, I realize, oh, okay, well, we, we wanted something different out of this product. So So I'm okay with differing from the negative reviews here. We see something similar with Jesus. We know this instinctually, and Luke really points this out in the text, Jesus got mixed reviews. And the text is startling. When we read it, it takes a sharp turn from like, everybody loved him. He was the best thing ever. And then they hated him and they wanted to kill him. It's a very sudden turn. And so Two things I want us to notice. One, I want us to notice what happened in history back in the first century in the story. Right? We believe this is truth. This is real. This is what happened. But I also want us to pay attention to our own hearts because our hearts can be just as fickle as the crowds. Jesus, I love you. You're blessing me. You're awesome. No, Jesus, you can't have that. You better back off. And we can turn very quickly on Jesus. Jesus got mixed reviews in the first century. He still gets mixed reviews. Today. So let's read the text. It's chapter 4, starting in verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now here's the turn. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Well, we have heard you did at Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town. They brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Jesus got mixed reviews in the first century and still today. People love him. People hate him. And the question for us to ask as we study this text is, what is my heart posture before Jesus? Do I value him? Do I adore him? Do I hate him? Do I have uh, up and down feelings that change moment by moment? What are the mixed reviews that I'm giving to Jesus? I want to pray for our time that the Spirit would help us uh, to listen to his voice, to hear him in these stories. So let's pray. God, we pray that you would be with us. We pray that your spirit would open our minds to hear you, to hear what you want us to understand from these stories. Uh, We pray that you would help us to see Jesus. Uh, Lord, you tell us that that's what the spirit does. The spirit uh, points to Jesus, glorifies Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to experience that this morning. Uh, Help us to hear from you. Uh, Open us up. Uh, Make our hearts tender to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the idea is mixed reviews. Um, these stories are spread out in different orders in the different gospels. Luke wants us to see this first. Luke wants us to see this as an entry into the public ministry of Jesus. We're sure this happened early on, but you know the different gospel writers kind of pick out their favorite story to set the tone as we're understanding who Jesus is. And this is the one that Luke picks out. He wants us to see they loved him and they hated him. He wants us to see this tension, and to see how that continued to propel Jesus out in the power of the Spirit. As we unfold the story and we kind of look through it in order, there are three things that we see about the identity of Jesus that I want you to be thinking about, again, in your own heart. How do I see Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? The first thing we see presented is Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a good teacher. The second thing that we see Jesus presented as is Jesus' ultimate freedom. Jesus' ultimate freedom. And then the third thing we see is Jesus is a threat to our way of life. Jesus is a threat to our way of life. We're gonna have to wrestle with that one. So number one, we see that Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a good teacher. We see this in verses 14 through 16, the very beginning, kind of the setting. Uh, This is the foundation. Any good story starts off with, you know, once upon a time, it happened in this town, it was a dark and stormy night, you know, whatever it is. This story starts off, Here, this is kind of the scene. This Jesus was a normal Jewish rabbi of his day. It's an important thing for us to understand. He wasn't like completely alien to their society. This was how they did life. They studied the Bible. They taught the Bible. He was a Bible teacher. So we see this in verse 14. Starts us off. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Let's pause there for a second. Does that ring a bell if you were here last week? You remember talking about the power of the Spirit? So last week, the Spirit led him and filled him as he fought off the temptations of the evil one. As he spoke the truth and was able to resist the temptations of the evil one, it was because the Spirit was empowering him to love and honor God's Word. And so we see the same Spirit continuing with Jesus. Jesus is still Spirit-led, and we talked last week, Spirit-led means someone who loves and adores God's Word. The Spirit is what empowers us to be like Yeah, I know there are days when I don't want to do what you say, God, but your spirit woos my heart, makes me see and savor your goodness and respect your word. And we see Jesus in a perfect way walking in that power of the spirit. And so this takes him into his ministry in Galilee. Galilee's the region. We hear a lot about the Sea of Galilee. It's like a large lake in that area. So it would have been northeast of Jerusalem. There was a lot of mixture of Jewish people and pagan people around this area, Um, but this is kind of a region where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. So it says he was in the area, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. A report, Greek word is fame, fame. uh, We have the English word fame. So a story is spreading about him. News is spreading about him. I grabbed a picture here of a newspaper. Any of you ever seen one of these before? Do we have the picture of the newspaper? Uh, Raise your hand if you've seen one of these before. Okay, some of you have seen that. Okay, this is what um, ancient people used to... (laughs) read reports about what's happening in the world and in the town. Um, And this is how they would find out. This was before the internet, um, before cell phones and the internet. We had these newspapers and we would just print them and you could go buy them. You could get them at a library, right? You could find them in a a dentist's waiting room and you could read about what's going on. Well, in this day and time, they would just tell each other, right? They would go from town to town and be like, hey, this is going on, right? It's like gossip. It was just spreading around. It's like your friend telling you about a restaurant that you really like, the fame, the news report is spreading. And the report is this, verse 15, he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The report is, hey, this guy's a good teacher. Have you heard this Bible teacher? Right? Like in our day and age, we might be like, have you, have you been to that church? Or have you read that book? Or have you listened to this podcast? Maybe the report is going around about this Bible teacher. People like to hear him teach the Bible. And again, this was a very normal thing in his culture. The Jewish people were a people of the word. They loved God's word. And of course, we've talked about this. They had good seasons and bad seasons, just like we do. It's not like because we're a culture that has churches, that doesn't mean that every single person in our nation honors God's word. Israel was the same way. They had synagogues, which were basically like churches, to where they would gather to study God's word. They would gather to sing God's word in the Psalms, to pray together, to encourage each other towards faith. It's basically the pattern for what we do in church. It was the Jewish gathering place of God's word. And so he was a regular there. Look at verse 16. It says he came to Nazareth. This was his actual hometown. So the region is Galilee around the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. The town that he grew up in was Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he stood up to read. So as was his custom, as was normal, as was typical in his life. What's it saying? Jesus was a good Bible student, not just good Bible teacher. It was his custom, his habit, to be in synagogue and to read God's word and to worship with God's people. So this is really low-hanging fruit for me. Here you go. You ready for this? You should gather with God's people and study God's word and read God's word and sing God's word. Because without it, we go off track. We need to be reminded and encouraged in who God is. His goodness, that he loves us, that he's with us, that he's present with us. And we drift, but he is holy and he intercedes and he gives us direction, Torah, instruction, law. He says, no, go this way. Don't go that way. That's, that's going to hurt you. I love you too much for you to keep hurting yourself. Go this way because I care for you. And God gives us guidance and we find that guidance in God's word. Jesus was a Jewish Bible teacher, a Jewish rabbi and He was a Jew that loved God's word, that studied it as well. He was both a member of a synagogue as well as a teacher. Now, in the ancient synagogue system, another kind of comparison that was similar to our day and age is there would be little tiny, tiny towns with tiny synagogues that really might just be like a hut, you know, or a gathering place or someone's room in their big house. So kind of like a small group or a house church, as we would understand it in the Christian era. And then there were some, it was a bigger city, they had more money, they paid a professional rabbi, they had a staff, you know, they had a big building with a few copies of the scriptures, you know, they had more stuff, right? So it's the same thing in our day and time, we're, we're kind of in that in-between space as a church, we have some staff, we're a volunteer-run church generally, but we do have paid staff, we have a building, you know, but we're not like some 10,000-member megachurch. You yeah, had the same thing back in that day, right? They had big ones with nice buildings, they had little ones, that there was no staff, and they just relied on the local village elders traveling teachers that might come through and they would do the teaching. So Jesus is fulfilling that role. Very normal thing. This is how they did life together. Their life was uh, centered on God's word. So we see here, Jesus is a good teacher. He's operating in the power of the spirit and he's keeping with these habits, with these uh, sequences, with these systems, these disciplines that he's put in place to be a man of God's word. So we're officially in February now which means that your New Year's resolutions are starting to peter out, right? This is the time when you're like, I don't know if I really want to read the Bible in a year, right? Or I don't know if I can really memorize this whole chapter or memorize all 30 of these verses in this system. I just want to encourage you to keep going, to make it your custom. Are you going to fall off the wagon sometimes? Yeah. Don't like beat yourself up and say, I'm a loser. I'll never read the Bible again. No, just like dust yourself off, get up, read the Bible again tomorrow, okay? Like, keep going. It's good for you. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a preacher, right? I know I have a vested interest. It's my job to tell you that. But I'm saying this as a believer in Jesus Christ. Jesus is my only hope. And Jesus loved the Bible. That's why I love the Bible. I don't love the Bible because it's my job. I love the Bible because Jesus loved the Bible. And so I want you to see this value he said, just as he said to the devil Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He's living it. He is embodying this reality. What are ways that we can do this? What are ways that we can see that he was a good teacher that loved the Bible and then be ourselves people that are about this book? Well, reading it, gathering in church, just like they would gather in the synagogue, gathering in places where God's word is honored, gathering with friends. It would encourage you in the scripture. We talk a lot about small groups. That can be a a regular group that meets at the church that you can contact us at the church office and we can help you get into one of those groups. Or that can be you gathering with another friend and saying, hey, let's just, let's have lunch once a week and we'll, we'll memorize a few verses together. We'll encourage one another in our faith. It can be that simple. It's not rocket science, but you want to, you want to be a student of God's word because you see how Jesus loved God's word. Memorize the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible, gather in worship. And then finally, if you have kids, read the Bible to your kids. Read the Bible to your kids. Dads, this is so important. Pray for your kids. Encourage your kids. Read the Bible to your kids. Give it to them in small doses, okay? Small doses. We're a society with a very short attention span. And guess what? Your kid's attention span is even shorter than yours. But be steady. Keep going. Don't give up. We did all kinds of different practices with our kids of talking about the Bible, reading Christian books, reading Christian stories, uh, memorizing scripture together, singing together, praying together. We tried all kinds of different things. I'm a professional. I've got a graduate degree in how to do this stuff, and I still felt like I didn't know what I was doing. So I hope that encourages you dads, that you will also feel like you don't know what you're doing. Moms, you'll also feel like you don't know what you're doing. Like, I've trained at this, and it still was a struggle. And I needed other Christian friends. and I needed the Spirit of God to encourage me to keep going and making it a daily value in our home. Uh, be a Bible teacher and a Bible student, because Jesus was. Now, we like to talk a lot in Christian circles. C.S. Lewis points this out, that Jesus was more than just a good teacher. But he certainly wasn't less, right? We can't take away... From Jesus, being a Bible teacher, loving the Bible, this was an important part of who he was. He was a good teacher, but he was also more than that. C.S. Lewis talks about the trilemma. You can't just say Jesus was a good teacher, either he was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Mere Christianity is a great book that C.S. Lewis wrote. The defense of the faith, and it's helpful to, to think about that. You just can't say, oh, he was a good teacher, but he wasn't really Lord. No, he was Lord, and that's, that's where we're coming with the second point. Second point is that Jesus is ultimate freedom. Jesus is ultimate freedom. He's more than just a good teacher. Not less, but he is more than just a good teacher. So we see this in verses 17 through 22. Verses 17 through 22, starting in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Another word for anointing is Messiah. Christ is the Greek word for that. So when we called Jesus Messiah, that means he was the deputized leader. So in the Old Testament, all leaders would be anointed, chosen, appointed, ordained. These are all different words we use for saying like, that's our leader, right? And so anointing, they would have ceremonies with oil and stuff, but that's just like giving somebody a badge. Like this is our leader. And the Old Testament prophesied that there was an ultimate leader, right? So there are there lots of, of little leaders. There were lots of prophets and priests and kings that were anointed, that were messiahs in some sense, but Jesus is the ultimate one. There's this kind of like, hard-to-believe, awesome future hero that's prophesied in Isaiah, who's going to solve all our problems and set all the captives free and heal everyone and make everything awesome. Jesus unrolls the scrolls and says, here I am. I'm that ultimate Messiah that is finally come. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. he's sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That line comes from Isaiah 58. The rest of it's from Isaiah 61. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, just a couple of little asides. He quotes Isaiah 61. He throws in an extra verse from Isaiah 58, Bible teachers do that a lot, right? We'll share a verse and then we'll bring in another verse so you see the connections. Like, here's my favorite paragraph. And you know what? It sounds just like this other verse in this other part of scripture. And that's what he's doing here. Reading Isaiah 61, he throws in a little extra verse from Isaiah 58 and then he leaves off the ending of Isaiah 61 that says that this same Messiah is also bringing vengeance. Isn't that interesting? He leaves that part off. For many of the Jews, that was the one part they were the most hungry for. Because vengeance in the mind of a lot of Jews meant not God's judgment on me as a sinner. It meant God's judgment on those pagan bad guys out there. And that's what they wanted. They want Rome to be overthrown. They wanted general Jesus to come in and overthrow all the bad guys. And they lacked often an understanding that they were also the bad guys. And so Jesus many times would say, I haven't haven't come for judgment. Oh, that's coming later. Jesus preached about hell. Jesus did talk about judgment, but he was like, this time, this era we live in, this is the time of God patiently extending grace. Jesus offering the terms of peace. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's inviting us in to grace, to forgiveness, to liberty for the oppressed, to ultimate freedom ultimate freedom. Now here, this passage is promising physical freedom, but when you read all of Isaiah in context, it's clear that there's something much bigger going on. It's not just political oppressors being thrown off. It's not just being, uh, people being taken out of prison and set free. God cares about those things and God's people have always been about those things, but he's promising a bigger freedom, a freedom from sin and death. And the entire trajectory of Luke is going to make that clear. That's where we're going. Does Jesus heal people physically? Yes, but he wants to heal you spiritually. He wants to set you free from the weight, from the burden, the judgment of sin and death on your life. So it's a both and with an emphasis on ultimate freedom. That's where we're headed. That's where he's taking us. So verse 20, he rolls up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant. He sat down. And it says, like, everybody's staring at him, right? He's like, all right, I'm done. Sits down. Everybody is just staring at him. Where am I? Verse 20, the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm here. I've come to bring ultimate freedom. He goes on in verse 22. It says, and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. This is a really interesting line. They were marveling at the gracious words, the, the words of grace that were coming from his mouth. Uh, the, the phrasing of words coming out of his mouth is the exact same phrasing from the Greek copy of the Old Testament that said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And so even Luke is pointing here like, oh, there's, there's something big happening here. Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah. And this is a little perplexing for us too as history unfolds. We're in this time where we've got a completed New Testament. We're not seeing it in the same way they're seeing it as like it's being unfolded to them piece by piece. So for them, they were looking for the Messiah who would make everything better. For us, we're looking back and saying, yeah, he is the Messiah. We know that. We're Messiah followers here. And we also know he's God. He's the son of God. He's he's not just a dude but he's, he's divine as well. And so we, we see both. But at this point, they don't see that yet. They're just like, he's claiming to be the Messiah. They don't even get that he's also God's son. And so it's just a little, little breadcrumb trail that Luke is starting to spread for us. And they were hanging on his words, just like they should be hanging on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. There's some pings back and forth between this and the previous chapter and that's a good homework assignment for you. I'll send you out if, if you're a Bible nerd. Go study that for me and show me all the connection points. There are a lot of connection points where Jesus is kind of embodying the faith that he was professing when he was fighting the devil in the wilderness just in the previous section. This is one of those little connection points, but that would take a whole nother sermon to do that. So we'll have to set that aside for now. Gracious words were coming out of his mouth. And then we've got the turn and we'll really focus on the turn in the next point. And then they were like, but isn't this Joseph's son? <laughs> they're like, we love him. He's so gracious. They're hanging on his words like the words of God. And then they, it's like they wake from a slumber and they're like, wait, we know his family. This is a small town boy. He, he grew up with, with Joseph. He's a construction worker, right? And they're starting to ask these questions. We get a lot more of those details in Matthew 13. If you want to look at the cross-reference, Matthew puts the story uh, later on in his unfolding to show the rejection of the Jews as he builds to the ultimate rejection at the cross. And so they're kind, of, they're kind of posturing this in different places to help us focus on different things here. But Matthew actually gives more details. Instead of just, isn't this Joseph's son? Matthew gives all the other stuff they say. Like, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't he a construction worker? You know, like they just say all kinds of stuff. And they're like, this can't, this can't be the Messiah. It's interesting because there he makes it very clear Um, in Matthew, that they struggled with faith. They struggled to believe. We'll come back to that at the end. I want you to think about the freedom that God brings us in Christ. Uh, As I said, they would start with physical freedom. I I grabbed a picture of a ministry that I support. Um, It's a picture of guys that are in slavery making bricks. And there's this ministry I support called the International Justice Mission. And they literally try to set slaves free. There's still people enslaved in other parts of the world right now. And just something Christians have always been about is saying, hey, we want to help people. That's just something that Christians do. Now, we also, though, like to emphasize what makes us a church is we're a broadcasting center for God's word. And so we build a hierarchy where we say ultimate freedom in Christ is most important. But yeah, should we care about people's freedom? Should we set people free? Should we heal people? Yes, And I see that in your lives. Most of the members of our church, for those of you that are new, you may not know this, but most of the members of our church are medical workers, teachers, and soldiers who are involved in very high burnout, difficult jobs that are callings to set people free, to serve people, to heal people. And I just want to thank you for the way that you encourage me and you reflect the gospel back to me as I see you healing and helping and freeing people. Thank you for doing that. And I just want to take that and say, that's good and beautiful. Our Afghan family rescue team that helped these refugees resettle, that was so beautiful. That was a picture of the freedom that we have in Christ. And we just want to say, what you're doing is good and beautiful and don't forget ultimate freedom. Don't forget to connect the dots. Keep being about helping people find physical freedom and don't forget ultimate freedom. That's what makes a church different from the International Justice Mission or the YMCA or Hope Pregnancy Center or Foster Love Bell County, right? Like we're about ultimately God's word and that's our first priority. But we believe as you are set free from sin and death in Christ, it's going to free you up to love God and love other people and be more about people's physical freedom, serving them, helping them. In different ways. And as you pray and as you grow in your own faith, God's going to give you ways to do that. He's going to call you to different things in your neighborhood or at your workplace. But we should never forget the ultimate freedom, the freedom from sin and death. John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This passage is a famous passage. Most of you have probably heard it before. Basic gospel passage that Jesus has offered for us for our freedom. That we're all sinners that have turned from God and we've actually enslaved ourselves to sin and death. The idols that we serve, whether it be comfort or respect or relationship or money or whatever it is that you struggle with and I struggle with, those idols are not kind masters. They make us slaves. And we've now put ourselves into oppression. And Jesus, by dying on the cross for our sins, absorbs the wrath of God, sets us free from that burden of sin. He died on the cross to absorb the wrath of God. He rose from the dead, proving that it worked. It wasn't just a good idea, but he actually rules and reigns as king of the universe. So you can trust him, that he is the one that will give you ultimate freedom. And as you embrace that ultimate freedom in Christ, that frees you up to both communicate that message of ultimate freedom to other people and to care about people's temporary freedom, physical freedom, comfort, health, and life, to be a good neighbor, to love those around you, which is a major theme in Luke. Luke's gonna come back to this again and again. Jesus cared about outsiders. Jesus cared about the poor. Jesus cared about the people that nobody loved. Jesus cared about the lepers. Jesus reached out to people. But you know what his ultimate, ultimate mission was? Was dying on the cross and rising from the dead to set us free from sin and from death. John 3.16 is really interesting because it ties into what Jesus was saying here in Isaiah 61, because John 3.16 says, the son came to give you life. And then John 3.17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So just like Jesus was like, here I am, I've come to set the captives free. And the day of vengeance is not yet. He leaves that part out. That's going to come later. I've come to set the captives free. Have you found ultimate freedom in Christ? Are you sharing that ultimate freedom with the people that you're serving? The people that you may be setting free from their physical bondage, are you also sharing the good news of Jesus being the reason for that hope? That their physical freedom is just a little picture of what they could have in Christ. Third point, Jesus is a threat to our way of life. Jesus is a threat to our way of life of life, they turn on him. Wait, isn't this Joseph's son? And it starts to go in a whole new direction. Um, Two questions I want you to be asking yourself. What are you unwilling to let go of? And then another way to say that is what makes you want to throw Jesus off of a cliff? I grabbed a picture online of cliffs in Nazareth uh, it's high, rocky place. There are cliffs everywhere. Uh, we're hoping to go to Israel, actually, this summer to study this, so then I can teach the second half of Luke with a little more knowledge for you. But I uh, haven't been there yet. But I found this online. Google promised me this is really in Nazareth. There are cliffs there. And they're like, we're going we're gonna to throw him off. We're going to lynch him. We're going to kill him. The question is, why? Why did they, why did they turn, him on, turn on him like that? Uh, my thesis is that it's because Jesus is a threat to our way of life. A true believer says, yes, Jesus, my life is terrible and I need death and resurrection. And those that resist Jesus are like, no, I'm gonna hold on to my life and keep you at arm's length because you're a threat to my way of life. My life is all I've got. New Testament again and again says, you need to lose your life to find it. You need to be willing to trust him. Open up those hands, let go of that death grip you have on those idols. Jesus is a threat to our way of life. Let's, let's look at verse 23. So 22, they're like, wait, isn't this Jesus' uh, son? Verse 23, he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. This is a little echo, just kind of a saying of the day. The idea is like, hey, if you're so great, why don't you help yourself out, right? They mocked him with similar words when he was on the cross at the end of this book, Luke 23. If you're the savior, why don't you save yourself? So there's a kind of a foreshadowing here. It looks like this, this is where this is going. You're like, why don't you heal yourself, physician, if you're so great? Still, we're kind of confused because they just loved him one verse ago, you know, so we're like, what? what's happening? And so he says, you're probably going to say this to me, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. So Jesus is now giving the explanation. They wanted more of the tricks. You're like, we heard you healed a bunch of people in Capernaum. The next town over, this is your hometown, man. Come on, pay up. We want some of the blessings. We want the Messiah that makes everything better for us right now. We don't want to hear about your critiques of our heart posture before God. We just want stuff. Why don't you heal us? This is what we have heard you done in Capernaum. Do here in your hometown as well. Verse 24 said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now he's going to go on to give them even more context, and this is where they're really going to get angry. Verse 25. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. So context for those of you that haven't gotten this far in your yearly Bible reading plan. First and Second Kings is some really depressing territory for you. It's coming soon. And in that depressing territory, we have these two little glimmers of hope, these two prophets named Elijah. And Elisha. Elijah means God is Yahweh, Elisha means God is salvation. Uh, And so these two prophets come along later, and they come to an Israel that's just falling apart. It's like, pick your zombie movie or your post-apocalyptic movie, that's kind of what Israel was like. They hated God, they were rebelling against him, they weren't trusting him, everything was falling apart, everything was terrible, it was murder and mayhem, it was disgusting so Elijah and Elisha come in and they're rebuking the leaders. They're calling people back to repentance. They're calling people to turn their hearts back to God. And he's like, yeah, remember that? Israel was really bad and didn't love God. Remember that? He's saying, you're like them. He says there were many widows in Israel, but what did God do? God sent Elijah to go take care of the widow outside of Israel, the pagan, in the land of the Philistines, Zarephath, Sidon. He sent Elijah to go heal that widow. They're like, what are you saying about us? We just asked you to heal us. And you're saying, you know what? I'm more like Elijah who rebuked the disobedient Israelites and went and healed the pagans. (laughs) Then he goes on and he digs himself in deeper. Verse 27. There were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So, widows, God chooses to heal the widows that are pagans, the bad people. And then lepers, God chooses to heal the pagan general, the warlord that would have been killing and destroying the Israelites. God says, go heal those people. Isaiah continually says the Messiah is not just there to save Israel, but he's there to transform Israel into a light to all the ethnic groups, a light to the Gentiles, all the nations, all the tribes, all the people. Jesus saying, that's my mission. And you're only on board my mission if you recognize your need for salvation. Another place that the physician language comes in, right, is Jesus saying, physicians are only for the sick. They're not for the healthy. So Nazareth, if you think you're healthy and you just want some tricks, but you don't recognize your need to submit, to repent your own sin before God, I'm not going to just pass out physical healings here. I'm going to move on to the pagans. I'm going to move on and share the good news with other people. And they got angry. Verse 28, when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. That means anger. They're really, really mad. Verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Another little echo of the Previous story, right? The devil's like, hey, why don't you throw yourself off a cliff and God will rescue you. He's like, no, this is, this is not the time. God's going to rescue me later in ministry as I lay my life down. I give myself up for people. God will take care of me. I'm not going to put him to the test. And here we see this illustrated right here in this story. Here, Jesus says he will do miracles for outsiders just like Elijah and Elisha did. In Matthew 13, the parallel passage that that talks about this, this same scene, Matthew, like I said, puts a little later in his book, says he did not do many mighty works there in Nazareth because of their unbelief. So just in case we're confused about the context here, I think Luke gives less explanation. He's just like, here's the story, figure it out, right? But Matthew gives us a little explanation just to kind of close the loop. Yeah, they didn't believe him. What's another way of saying that? They didn't trust him. They didn't trust him. And again, I want to ask you and I want to ask myself, what's my heart posture before God? When Jesus comes for me and I'm like, Jesus, I will accept you as my Messiah if you give me this and this and this. That's basically what they're doing. Or I can have a heart posture of like, Jesus, I don't want you to take this, but if you got to take it, take it. Because I trust you more than my stuff. That's a, that's a daily letting go that we go through in our life. Jesus, I'd really rather have this and this and this, but you're more important. The way Paul describes this in Matthew, not in Matthew, the way Paul describes this in Romans, Romans 12, one and two, is he says it's because of God's mercy that we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. It's because of the kindness that God has shown us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we would ever unclench our fists and say, Jesus, this life is yours. Take what you want. I trust you. That's faith. It's trusting Jesus, good days and bad days. So to say it again, what makes us want to throw Jesus off a cliff? How how close has he gotten to you Threatening your very way of life, are you following Jesus as long as he doesn 't touch your hobbies, your comfort, your relationships, your respect, your money, or are you laying it all out saying it's just it's yours, you 're in charge. I trust you, take it. We see this kind of tribal rivalry as well, and I think this is a, a big problem we 're at in our culture right now, so I just want to want to draw this in because. A lot of times, uh, we just want to know which group to join, right? And of course, I want you to join this group, right? Join this group. But Jesus says, no, just follow me. That's what Jesus says. I want you to make Grace Bible Church great, and then the rest will work itself out. Jesus says, no, trust me. If Grace Bible Church is a part of that story, great. If not, great. Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. They wanted Nazareth to be great. Jesus was like, I want to save the world. And so we're in this world where we've kind of got this battle, you know, like social lines, traditional lines, political parties, church disagreement. There's just kind of all kinds of fracturing happening in our culture. And of course, you and me, we could have conversations like, yeah, I line up with this group more than that group. Of course we do. There's just kind of a practical necessity of like, i got to row with somebody. I'm going to row with these guys or these guys. We have to make those choices. But we have to keep ever present in our mind that Jesus is ultimate. Jesus is ultimate. We can't hold on to our tribal affiliation more than Jesus. Jesus taught these confusing combinations of things. And we'll see this worked out throughout Luke as we continue to study it. Jesus taught obedience to the moral laws of the Jews and radical generosity to outsiders, to the bad people. He taught both. In our culture, we're like, pick one. You gotta pick one. Which side are you on? Jesus taught both. Another way of saying this is Jesus taught love for God's word and love for broken, poor, messed up people. He taught both. We don't get to pick one or the other. Jesus is a threat to our way of life. Jesus is a threat to our tribe. Jesus is a a threat to our salvation by association with the right people. Jesus says, come and follow me. I'm your only hope. That's what Jesus is calling us to. We need to wrap up here. I added five minutes. You got five bonus minutes from the earlier service. Aren't you glad? Thank you. You're welcome. Um, Jesus gets mixed reviews. Today... And in the first century, it's the same. People love him, people hate him. And again, if we're honest, that changes moment by moment in our life. What renews us to be able to see that he is good is going back to the story, going back to who Jesus is, taking our eyes off our circumstances and saying, okay, Jesus, you're my only hope. Yeah, I would prefer this, this, and this, but you're my only hope. Jesus came to his own people, and his own people rejected him. John describes this in John chapter one. He just, he just leads with this, right? So Luke is kind of unfolding the story. Luke's just showing us what happened. John is explaining a little more. John's like, hey, this is the situation. He made the world, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But then John still is dangling that hope and says, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, who trusted him. He gave the right to become children of God. And so I just want to encourage you that he's worth it. That, yeah, it's hard for all of us to let go of those things that have brought us comfort. I appreciated so much Will sharing just from their own life. When you have things stripped away that have made life normal for you. My wife and I have been through a lot of that the last couple of years as well. You have to re-ask yourself at every stage of life, am I... Am I holding on to my security or am I gonna hold on to Jesus? If you trust him, he will take care of you. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you embrace us in Christ. Even being so fickle, giving mixed reviews, being unreliable ourselves, Lord, you're reliable. Thank you for that. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for saving us and pray that it would... Make us the kinds of people that love others well, that love you, and share that hope with others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.